gathered to be worshipers. Above all else, we've not come to be studiers. We've not come to even be givers. We've come to be worshipers. People who understand that we will spend an eternity, an eternity engaged in singing praises to the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, even Jimmy Young's sin, as great as it was and is. Oh God, give us just a few minutes apart from all that which we have to do when we leave here. Enable us in these few minutes to worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you uh, who are, uh, haven't been in a while, I'm in the midst of a series, a summer-long series, and we're almost finished. One more installment uh, on something that I've called uh, How to Build an Irresistible Testimony. The hope is that the more and more that we as the people of God grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the more that he'll see fit to use people to reach lost men and women who are finding in us an irresistible, irresistible testimony. I want to read you from 2 Peter chapter 3, if you'll follow as I read, beginning at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I don't want to confuse you from uh, the very opening statement, so let me just clarify the point of this text has nothing to do, at least the point of my sermon about this text, has nothing to do with the second coming of the Lord and the new heavens and the new earth. My real focus is in verse 11. Uh, having stated that there will be a new heavens and a new earth and that Jesus will return with a great noise and the elements will be burned up with fervent heat. Having said that, he then goes on to say, therefore... Based on what I just told you, based on what you just heard, based on the reality of eternity, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Good question, don't you think? How would you answer it? What manner of persons do you think we ought to be? Peter has a reply, I think, in those following few words, following four words or so, in which he says, in holy conduct and godliness. If you'll allow me, I'd like to summarize those two things under one heading. I'd like to use one word. When Peter gets ready to answer the question as to how, what kind of people ought we to be, he suggests that the kind of people you and I ought to be are people of character. 
And you know, character is the stuff uh, where we find uh, where we find character most or best displayed in private. Who are you when nobody's watching? April the fifteenth is a good day, a good insight to whether there's any character to us at all. Um, when it comes to character, ladies and gentlemen, the issue is not reputation. Six months ago, Gary Condit had a wonderful reputation. It doesn't have to do that. The character doesn't have to do with success. Um, 60 days ago, 90 days ago, Patrick Ewing and Andrew Jones, the center fielder for the Atlanta Braves, and Terrell Davis, the MVP of the Super Bowl, the Denver, Denver Broncos. They were known for widespread success. But then there was a court matter in Atlanta over a club, a pornographic club, and all their success kind of got lost in the shuffle as we found out what they were doing in private. Character isn't an issue of achievement. Our former president had unbelievable achievement. A pinnacle of power in the world. And yet, I don't think even those in his own party would call him a man of character. Character is not what you do, ladies and gentlemen. Character is what you are. Plutarch said that character was just a long habit continued. It's not something that's developed through uh, good resolutions and, and uh, checklists. It's something that gets forged over a lifetime. A, a lifetime of facing various sets of circumstances, some similar to this one, and responding in a certain way. It's a lifetime of choices, a lifetime of decisions, big decisions, little decisions, that, that all of us face daily. And a lot of those decisions, those ones that reflect character, those decisions don't get noticed. They don't get applauded. They don't get rewarded. But they are made because they're right. The issue in people of character is not whether it's legal, but whether it's right. In fact, people of character are relatively unconcerned about getting noticed or applauded or rewarded for their decisions. Their joy is found. Their, their joy is found in discovering what's right. For people without character, the joy is found in discovering loopholes. I uh, read something that was found on a wall of an orphanage in Calcutta, India, of all places. I want to read it to you. Uh, it's a piece of poetry or prose, I don't know what to call it, but it's entitled Anyway. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. 
If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honest and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spent years, what you spent years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. That's what people of character do, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we've known people, you and I have known people who are of great character. We read about them. We've worked with them. We've worked for them, perhaps. But I want you to listen to one of them. His name was Jonathan Edwards. I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or its members, no right to this tongue, to these hands, these feet, ears, or eyes. I've given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. I have been to God this morning and told Him I have given myself wholly to Him. I have given every power so that for the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. I take Him as my whole portion in happiness. His law is the constant rule of my obedience. I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. I will uphold the gospel however hazardous and difficult the profession and practice of it may be. Henceforth, I will not use my powers to do anything that is not to the glory of God, nor fail to make the glorifying of Him my whole and entire business. If I murmur in the least of afflictions, if I am in any way uncharitable, if I take revenge on anyone, if I do anything purely to please myself, if I trust to myself, if I take away praise for any good which Christ does by me, or if I am in any way proud, I shall be acting for myself and not for God. I purpose to be absolutely His. You know, um, if that's the standard, which it isn't, it's higher in this one, but if that's the standard... Just that. What kind of people of character are we? You know, when I read something like that, I think, Jimmy Young, do you know the first thing? The first thing about character. You know, when I read that, I can imagine in my mind's eye, which I'm sure is not true, but it's almost as if Jonathan Edwards one day in his devotion, read verse 11 of Second Peter 3, and he sat down to pin an answer. Uh, what manner of persons ought you to be, and uh, what kind of person should I be? And so he sat down, and he wrote that. That and only that is the standard. 
which I say to you again, it isn't. It's much higher than this. But if that were the only standard, what kind of person of character am I? You know, there's all these little insights and definitions that are available. And as I studied, you found all these little pithy little quotes that, you know, I could bring to you. And like the one from Aristotle, which, who said, to enjoy the things we ought and to hate the things we ought has the greatest bearing on excellence of character. It's a good insight. To enjoy the things, the right things, and to, to uh, hate the right things tells us a lot about the character deep within, doesn't it? But um, out of all those things that I read, in which I could just keep on listening and keep on listening, great things that Winston Churchill said and C.S. Lewis and etc., I found one little story. And uh, I hate to keep reading to you, but I, I, of all the stuff that I found, I thought this is the one that you would like the most. The one that would be most poignant for you. And um, uh, it was for me, and, I, and I, I hope it will be for you. Just kind of listen. This is an insight to character. I was parked in front of the mall wiping off my car. I had just come from the car wash and was waiting for my wife to get out of work. Coming my way from across the parking lot was what society would consider a bum. From the looks of him, he had no car, no home, no clean clothes, and no money. You know, there are times when you feel generous, but there are other times that you just don't want to be bothered. This was one of those don't-want-to-be-bothered times. I hope he doesn't ask me for any money, I thought. He didn't. He came and sat on the curb in front of the bus stop, but he didn't look like he could have enough money to even ride the bus. After a few minutes, he spoke. That's a very pretty car, he said. He was ragged, but he had an air of dignity about him. His scraggly blonde beard kept more than his face warm. I said, thanks, and continued wiping off my car. He sat there quietly as I worked. The expected plea for money never came. As the silence between us widened, something inside said, ask him if he needs any help. I was sure that he would say yes, but I, I held true to my inner voice, and so I said, do you need any help? He answered in three simple but profound words that I shall never forget. We often look for wisdom in great men and women. We expect it from those of higher learning and accomplishments. I expected nothing but an outstretched, grimy hand. He spoke the three words that shook me. He said, Don't we all? I was feeling high and mighty and successful and important above a bum in the street until those three words hit me like a 12-gauge shotgun. Don't we all? I needed help. Maybe not for a bus fare or a place to sleep, but I needed help. I reached in my wallet and gave him not only enough for bus fare, but enough to get a warm meal and shelter for the day. Those three little words still ring in my ears. No matter how much you have, no matter how much you have accomplished, you need help too. No matter how little you have, no matter how loaded you are with problems, even without money or a place to sleep, you can give help. Even if it's just a compliment, you can give that. You never know when you may see someone that appears to have it all. They are waiting on you to give them what they don't have, a different perspective on life, a glimpse of something, of something beautiful, a respite from daily chaos, the only you through a, 
that, that only you through a wild world can see. Maybe that man was just a homeless stranger wandering the streets. Maybe he was more than that. Maybe he was sent by a power that is great and wise to minister to a soul too comfortable in itself. Maybe God looked down, called an angel, dressed him like a bum, then said, go minister to that man cleaning the car. That man needs help. Don't we all? Don't we all? Someone wisely once said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. If that were the only standard, how are we doing? You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about winning people to Jesus Christ. We're talking about the hope that God would see fit to use folks like us. I'm suggesting that the testimony would become more irresistible if the lost, dying Christian world could see character in us. You know, that's a good insight in that story about character as seen by how a man treats those who can do nothing for him. You know, the people that wait on your table and pump your gas and cut your grass. Those guys. How do you treat them? True. But there's something even more important to me this morning than the insights that that story gives us or all those little quotes give us. The insights are wonderful. But what I want to close with is not another insight, at least about character. I'd like to leave you with this. How, how do you develop it? How is character developed? And I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that character is bound up in what I'm calling the science of Christ. Here's what I mean by that phrase. I'm suggesting that character is bound up with an intimate knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ and the inevitable imitation of His person in life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it was He who said, follow me. He didn't say, repeat after me. Character is bound up, ladies and gentlemen, in my mind. Character is bound up in knowing Christ and imitating Christ. All of that accomplished, all of that done by the power of the indwelling Spirit. Get all the training that you want. But I want you to realize that without character, your training accomplishes nothing. But character without training accomplishes a great deal. Add a little training to character and you might accomplish a little more. But I want to close by asking you to look with me from whence I got this idea of the science of Christ. If you could open your Bibles and we'll close here. 
in Colossians chapter 3. I want to read you a portion of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, let me begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things... Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here we go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Two more verses, and I'm... I'm finished. Look also in that same chapter at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Forget the rest of of the verse. Just when Christ, who is our life, And then verse 11, whether there is Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ, Christ, Christ is all and in all. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a definition of character. God is so much more concerned about our character than He is our comfort. And character is developed through knowing all that I can find out about Him and imitating Him by the power of the indwelling Spirit. I've got a hunch that were we doing that, Things like these. They wouldn't happen very often among us. Let's pray. Our Father, we long to be agents of of reformation, of reconciliation, of transformation. We do. We all of us do. We long to be used. We long to think that, some, that you could see fit to use someone as limited and, and as fearful and as sinful as we. But it certainly makes a lot of sense, at least to me, Lord, and I hope I have not misled your people. That the people that will be uh, most useful are people who understand that the essence of Christian living is to be accomplished in the power of the Spirit. But the details of that life are to be found in knowing and imitating Christ. We know well, O God, 
that no good dwells in the flesh and that we cannot pull this off in the power of the strength of will. So grant us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, O Holy Spirit of God, enable us to read and to understand and see the great beauties of our Savior. And then by that same power, to go imitate Him. And the hope is, O oh God, that as we do, You will reach us, You will use us to reach them. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.